0: Welcome to episode 27. Got a, another special guest. It's been a little bit since I've had somebody. Um, but with me today is one of my good friends. Hooped together all the time. It's kind of funny because our favorite teams are playing against each other this week. And I told you all that I would always try to have friends on of the other side. So without further ado, I got my buddy BJ Cato on here. How we
1: doing, BJ? Beef. It's an honor and a privilege, sir. I would like to say one thing, though, really quick. Um, I'd like to go ahead and thank you and I'm sure you're wondering well what's he thanking me for already well you know I got a feeling um guest of the year you know it's going to be an important <laughs> award at the end yes. of 2018 and being as though I'm on early you know it's, it's going to be a lot of good guests on um but you know these progress they just haven't done it for me so shots fired at all of you previous guests yep that's the truth and uh I, I willingly accept the award already. I
0: mean, it is funny. Or it, you, I'd say you're kind of lucky because you're you're in a different year so far than your Dion Branches. Your um, actually no, Dion Branch was during the during the new year. He was so no oh, man. You you're, you're
1: shooting a tough gun there. Listen, you are. You are. I, I call my shots. You know, this is the Babe Ruth of podcasting, is what <laughs> I'd like to say. Um, I will never be on Dion Branch's level as far as talent and athleticism. When it comes to the podcasting game, Dion Branch doesn't have anything for it.
0: And I will say this, man. A lot of people have said, even though I had Dion Branch on there, that they might have liked the Bryant Northern and Tony Hicks episodes better. So I'll say this, man. I'm not saying that you can't do it, but you got a lot of stuff to live up to with those two episodes.
1: It's the way it should be. So.
0: Like I said, I, got, I had to have my buddy on here. We're going to talk about the North Carolina-Louisville game, which is a big game for not only both of us because it's our favorite teams, but it's also big for the ACC standings. Um, it's just a big game in general because it's two quote-unquote blue bloods, I guess you would say. I hate to use the color that's in your all's in uh, colors, but I'd say that these are two of the top ten most story programs of all time in college basketball. Uh, but not only that, we're also going to talk about All-Star Saturday night, uh, the, the uh, Skills Challenge, the three-point shootout, the dunk contest. We'll give our favorites for all of those, who we think is going to win all of them, what we're kind of looking forward to in that. And throw you a spitball here, we'll even, we'll even throw in who we think are going to be the MVP of the, of the All-Star game on Sunday. I like it. So be thinking about that one. Because I know I did just throw that one on you, but I'm looking over here at this list and seeing that the All Star game is there, and we'll say who do we think is going to win? What team is going to win? We'll throw that in there too. I so, like uh, BJ, we're gonna we're gonna like I said, we're gonna be talking about this game. This has been your squad. It's has always been my squad. North Carolina has always been one of my favorite teams, and I'm happy to have you on here with me to talk about this. So, um, thank you, sir.
1: Doesn't get much better than this game either. You look at the ACC in general currently, and uh, you've got a lot of top perennial contenders. Um, I think as far as our conference has gone though, I think you hit the nail on the head. This game is gonna be a key game. Um, First of all, both of them have NCAA tournament implications. Not necessarily either team or both of them will for sure be in the tournament, but what seeds will these teams get? Also, ACC tournament implications. Um, so it's exactly like you said. This is a very meaningful game. Besides our passion for both teams, I mean, if you look
0: at it now, you guys are a half game ahead of us in the standings. You are nine and five. We're eight and five. So you are a half a game ahead of us because you all played one more game. Not necessarily saying that we would win if we had played one more one more game so far, but you all have a twenty seven record. We come in 18, 18 and eight. Um, if we're looking at it just from, let's just even look at. Just the matchup predictor from something you and I were just talking about. Matchup predictor has it fairly close. Right. They give you guys a 53% chance to win and us a 47% chance to win, which to me is kind of a slap in the face. But then again, I also think about how playing in the um Center is not really that big of a home court advantage, and I'm a little fan. It's just not. Our home crowd is not most of the time. But then again, you think Saturday night, top 20 team, ACC implications. Maybe this is a game that they come and play. They come and the crowd has a big. What would you say a big aspect or a big part of the game? Right.
1: Yeah, I'd agree. Both teams are going to come to play. I think there's actually a couple of interesting things that play into that as well too. Um, it's like you said, this game will be played at the Yum Center. Typically for you all, you know, that's not a huge home court advantage as far as the crowd, like you said. But even playing where you're accustomed to playing and sleeping in your own bed, I think all those things play into it. The travel aspect is another thing of it. And if you look at North Carolina, um, they have blown some big leads and had some troubles in the Yum Center since the Yum Center is a fairly new arena as well, too. So um, good games to be had between those two. And another funny story, which I don't know if you know the background of, but Roy Williams and David Pageant have some yeah, history. So they do. I think that will come to light during the game as well, too. And both those teams are going to be one to get a win for their head coaches.
0: They were actually talking about that on the on the radio show today. The the, the drive on ninety three nine. They were talking to. They played the clip of David Pageant talking about it. You know, what do you, what's your mindset going into it, going against Roy Williams? Because, you know, he recruited you to Kansas and you left. I mean, he was not just a, a snub your nose to the guy to recruit. He was a McDonald's All American. He was one of the top big men in the nation when he came into college. And I remember when he was transferring to Louisville, I was like, "This is huge!" Like, not just because he's a
1: big dude; it's just like this guy can play. It was a big deal. Um, f- just a quick backstory to all the people who didn't know exactly what you said. Roy Williams recruited David Pageant to Kansas. Um, David Pageant signed. Was a perennial big that year. Um, a lot of teams really wanted him. The funny thing about that was the team that he pushed on the back burner to go to Kansas was North Carolina. Yeah, He found out about the whole situation from his mom, who read it on a post. Roy Williams called them later that night. The pageants were too thrilled with the situation, didn't want to have an in-depth in, uh, conversation about it, but Roy actually offered Pageant a position on the North Carolina team, which You know, in hindsight, you never know how something like that's going to go. But with that being said, no bad blood between them. They still have a great relationship, but added motivation and competition at that point. Yeah, and it's funny because you you think about how he
0: now he lives here and he's from Vegas, and you just think about now he has Trent Johnson on staff and he's starting to feel – it's going to be very interesting to see those two as head coaches go against each other because now – you know, you had him on staff before, and he was an assistant coach, but it's totally different when you're sitting at that head chair. And now you're looking at that guy down the way, and now you're like, all right, I'm game planning for him. It's going to be interesting to see what Padgett's going to have for for what you guys do. Because, to be honest with you, man, you guys are such a tough team to gauge, just like I feel like Louisville is such a tough team to gauge. Because you have the Louisville team that goes to Rep Arena and gets absolutely blasted by 29. Then you have the Louisville team that goes to Florida State and breaks a a home winning streak. And then you have the team that loses to Syracuse at home. And then you have a team that absolutely, I mean, again, everyone's obliterated Pittsburgh, but not too many people have obliterated Pittsburgh the way we have the past two years. So I think both of us can agree that both of our teams at this point are very Jekyll and
1: Hyde. Hundred percent, And I think that's honestly a lot of college basketball this year as well, too. You look at some of these teams like a Michigan State, like a Kansas. I know you've talked about Kansas in the past. You think they're a little bit overrated. I think they're a lot overrated, to be fair. I'd agree with you in the sense of maybe they were touted as a national championship frontrunner. But as far as being overrated, I'm going to disagree with you. Just because I, I look at the teams who have a chance at a national championship this year. And I have to put them in there. So that's getting a little off topic. But with that being said, I think this year is just going to be a great year. I mentioned this to a couple of my buddies. I do a family pool um, for the tournament brackets. And I think one of the younger kids in our family could win who doesn't really have a lot of knowledge this year. So that plays into exactly what you're talking about. Both these teams are a little bit Jekyll and Hyde. But the NCAA in general this year, you've seen some things that you're like, well, on paper, that shouldn't have come out that way. Um, but that's why you toss the ball up in there, and that's why you play the game. So, it's it, speaking of Jekyll and Hyde, I mean, you all you all went into
0: the beginning of February on a three-game losing streak. Correct. You all lost to Virginia Tech, at Virginia Tech, lost NC State at home, and you lost at Clemson for the first time in our lifetime. Right. And then you come back, blow out Pittsburgh, which, like I said, everyone blows out Pittsburgh, but still – you beat, you beat Pittsburgh by 31. That's an ACC school. You still beat them that bad. Right. Then you guys go, uh, go and beat Duke at home – or beat Duke in uh, Chapel Hill. And then go back and get revenge on NC State and then beat Notre Dame. So it's crazy because you see these teams that they lose to, like losing to Wofford earlier in the season. Like that loss to me still blows my mind. But then you all come back three games later, four games later, and beat Tennessee – Or, no, I'm sorry, that was the game before. You all beat Tennessee, and then the next game you all lose to Wofford. And then you all beat Ohio State by 14. So, it's so crazy, and it is. I agree with you 100% with you just saying that. It it brings up a good point. College basketball this year is probably the most wide open I think I've ever seen it when coming into the year you thought it was Duke's to lose. Yeah. Now it's like, what's Duke going to do? I mean, are they going to keep playing like the Duke that we think they could be, or are they going to – Roll
1: over and lose the teams they shouldn't lose to. Right. When Bagley signed with Duke, that was the sealer for me. I said Duke is going to be the front runner at that point. Yeah. The thing I didn't take into account is the depth on that team is not as good as good as what I expected it to be. But once again, that's a different topic for a different day for me. Yeah. I agree with you hundred percent on all of that.
0: So just looking at what I know, you'll like this because you're a big MMA guy. But the tail of the tape, right. we'll call it that. So. You look, at, you look at the stats for both teams. Louisville, uh, if we're looking at points-wise, Louisville gives up less points. I'm not saying that's because we're a better defensive team. We just do. You all score five more points on average per game. We shoot about even from, uh, from the field. Rebounds, which is always a problem for us against anyone. You all average six more rebounds than us. You all also average pretty much four more assists. We average more blocks, which is not too many teams that average more blocks than Louisville does and then we average more steals. So what what player do you think that North Carolina is going to be keying on to kind of stop our attack, to kind of shut it down early, to get the Yum Center out of it? Who, who do you think is the key guy for, for North Carolina to key on?
1: It's a great question. I think that plays into what has been North Carolina's success recently. If you look at what has changed from those wins to those losses, it's the defensive end of the court. It's not the offensive end. Offensively, this team has what they need um, to be a successful team. You've got the Luke May who's kind of your mid-sized guy who's gonna be able to extend the defense but also has a little bit of a back to the basket game, which you don't see too often anymore. You've got your Joel Berry, which we were mentioning before, seems like he's been there for six years. Season leader, phenomenal vocal leader, but also a quiet, calm, cool presence and demeanor out there. You also have a guy who's underrated and he's the guy who I will kind of key on in this section because of what you asked me. Theo Pinson. I think Theo Pinson is going to have to defend the two guys that I think are Ural's most prolific scorers, which are going to be Dangadel and VJ King. And I think at 6'6", um, Theo Pinson has a little bit of the length, the speed, and the athleticism to defend both of those. So key for success, in my opinion, will be Theo Pinson. Is he able to mentally compete out there? Um, Coming off these four wins that we've had recently as well, too, you even put that Notre Dame win in there. Um, That's a big win for this team. I'm hoping it's going to be – they're going to be mentally ready to come out and play against a great UFL team.
0: So, the thing that – it always makes me sick whenever I see Theo Pinson because you guys – you guys snuck – I'm not going to say you all snuck him, but he picked you guys marginally over us. I really thought we had Theo Pinson in the bag. Right. And – I hate it because I know what kind of player he could be, and I hate that he's been hindered by injuries most of his career. And because you see glimpses and you're just like, oh, man, this dude could. I mean, because I think you remember when he coming out of high school, he was a high flyer. The dude just dunked on everybody.
1: Big time. No jump shot, to be honest. If we're 100% honest, could not shoot the ball to save his life, couldn't throw it in the ocean. But as far as athleticism, He was was a dunk
0: and get in your face and D you up type of guy when he was coming out of high school. 100%. And he's molded his game to where he's getting a decent mid-range jump shot, and he's he hits the occasional outside jump shot, but it's not very often. Uh, I mean, it says here he shoots from 14 percent, so it's definitely not very often. Right. But he shoots forty-five percent from the field, so that shows you he, he shoots eighty-one percent from the free throw line. I always like Theo Penson, so that to me, that's a good that's a good uh, pick for for you say. So my key for us. I'll even throw my player like you did with Theo Pinson because I think the way that we're... Joe Barry's going to get his, the way I kind of look at it.
1: Depending how you all match up. I think if you put Quentin Snyder on him, he's probably going to have his fair share.
0: But See, the thing is, is, you take you put one of those big guys on him. To me, we're going to have to zone you guys and hope that you guys don't hit Grease. Which is a good strategy against yeah. us to be on. So, as long as you all rebound. Yeah, so... My key for Louisville, right? Ray Spaulding. I don't think you guys have an answer for Ray Spaulding. I like it when Ray Spaulding is playing at his best when he's in the game, when he's fired up and he's not making dumb fouls. To me, there's there's a handful of big men in the nation that can stop him with his length and athleticism. And when we run that, when we run the screen and screen and roll or the high low with him and when we run the screen and roll with like him and Dang or him and Q, because Q takes the screens from him very well, and even Ryan McMahon takes the screens from him very well because he always looks for the lob. But then you run the high-low with him and Honest. It's very, very hard to stop two pretty much seven-footers from doing a high-low when you have that length. So to me, if, if Ray is engaged, which, if you can't get engaged with the number 14 team in the nation coming to, to your town, coming to play you with this type of implications and the people bad-mouthing you from losing you know those games in a row I don't know what else is going to really get you to do it and that to me is a big key for Louisville because I mean we have looks like eight nine people that are averaging more six points or more for our team but to me there's not a bigger key player on Louisville's team than than Ray
1: Spalding. I'd agree. I think both sides of the ball he can be a contributor as well too because I think what you'll see North Carolina do some is obviously they want to get their first fast break down there. When they don't have an easy shot or an easy bucket, they'll pull it back out. They'll run some pick-and-roll action. With a Ray Spaulding-type player, from what I've seen, you all have had different strategies per game, but I've seen you all switch it a lot of times. That is
0: 90% of our time we switched. And right. That is one thing that I do love about this team is that we can switch, and most of the time we don't miss anything.
1: Spalding can guard one through five from yeah. what I've seen. Obviously, he's more successful at the three and four position there, but as far as end-of-game situation, I would not feel bad about him trying to guard a ball handler who's trying to get a jump shot And up.
0: even And even Honest moves well for that. I 100%. mean, if you watch in the Florida State game, Honest played like garbage until the last five minutes of the game. He gets four blocks in the last two minutes of the game. And it was all... We're going to get him in a screen and roll motion. We're going to have him switch on to one of our guards. And he blocked three guys in a row going at the rim. That's one thing that I, I love about about these two, and I loved about when we made the decision to do the, the lineup change, which we kind of switched it back, was putting Malik in there. Like, I loved it because it kept both of them out of foul trouble. And if you can get them in the end of the game, when you have Honest and Ray in that middle at the end of the game, right. you're not getting anything at the rim.
1: Yeah, the only downside to having, I mean, there is no downside to it, but with Mahmood being an elite shot blocker, with Spalding being an elite shot blocker, the problem that I've seen is sometimes your guards get a little lackadaisical, and that alludes Absolutely. exactly to what you're referring to, the foul trouble. Once you get those guys in foul trouble, you guys fall off pretty heavily. Now, as far as offensively, you don't really fall off because it's exactly like you said. Each of those guys that you mentioned has their own skill set. Um I have seen these things happen in person where if you have somebody who's considered a shot blocker behind you, sometimes your perimeter defense, therefore, is a little lackluster.
0: Yeah. And to me, like everyone talked at the beginning of the season for Louisville about how bad our defense has been, but our block, shot blocking, our shot blocking was there because none of our guards guard. If you watch, Adele gets blown past more than any person on our team. Even Ryan McMahon, when he comes in, he... Dangadell. I don't know what it is because he's obviously athletic. You watch him, he's obviously athletic. Right. Is he... I guess he's playing flat-footed or something. I don't know what it is, but he gets blown by more than anybody. And that's what's leading to us being a top-five shot-blocking team in the nation is because they got to block shots. If not... And then that also hurts us on the rebounding side. 100%. Because Good. then you bring that weak side guy over to block shots, now you're opening up
1: the weak side guy to rebound. Yep. So then you get the rebound and an easy bucket. It's a double problem at that point. So that's that's
0: the thing with, with this team is we have to stay engaged one through five defensively to where that shot blocking is just part of our defense, not the main part of our defense. Right. So we, we both gave our pretty much – what we think was the key for us to stop who is your who's going to be your sleeper guy that's going to do something in this game
1: tough to really say that there's a sleeper on north carolina because i feel like they get a lot of you know public um or a lot of people know a lot about the players on the team but the one guy that all key on is actually a guy who we mentioned earlier he's actually a transfer from pittsburgh and and uh, goes by the name of cam johnson phenomenal player Um, probably could play the two through the four at most colleges. For North Carolina currently we're going to play him at the power forward position and play Luke May an undersized center um, at the center position. I just think he will be able to do a couple of things and it's exactly what we've been keying on. One of those two either Spalding or Mahmud, is going to have to come out and guard both May and Johnson. I think and I'm not saying anything bad about Pageant. Pageant, I love what Pageant brings to the table. Obviously, you look at total games coached, and Roy's career wins and losses is 836 and 223. I mean, this man has a win percentage of 79%, which is phenomenal. But that's a lot of games to coach, and I don't think Pageant will be able to have the experience. So as far as in-game adjustments, I don't think they're going to be adjusted to what – Cam Johnson brings to the table. If you come out and extend the defense, he will go around you and he will finish at the rim. Not the most athletic player you've ever seen in your life, but does finish strong at the rim. He also has a phenomenal jump shot. So let's just say you key off of him or that's the guy that you rotate off of for help. He's gonna knock down that corner three all day, um, runs the court well. I'm hoping it's going to be a high scoring battle because obviously everybody loves offense. Um, and I think he'll be a key contributor to that.
0: And a high-scoring game always looks better for you guys because, let's be honest, Louisville's more known for defense historically. You guys are way more known for offense.
1: I'd agree, but if you even look at it, the Cardinals are playing the fastest tempo of any U L team since 2013. I found that statistic to be very um, – I guess I didn't realize it. Then their defense efficiency is actually the program's lowest since 2010, but the defense performances have improved in recent games, and overall defensive efficiency still is in the top 25 of the nation. So that just tells you exactly what you said. You all are typically known as win-by defensive team. Typically we're known as a higher point-scoring team. We're going to try to Mike you. For all those NBA heads yeah. out there, we're going to try to put up as many points as we can to make you guys catch up to us. So, I gave you you that's it. I mean,
0: we were talking about Cam Johnson because I was talking about how I like Cam Johnson. I watched you guys play a, a couple of times in the past couple of weeks because you guys are always on TV. It's just you guys in Duke. I feel like are always on TV in Kentucky. It's, you, it's actually four: Michigan State, Duke. North Carolina, Kentucky are always on TV.
1: Kansas in there as well, too. I've seen a lot of Kansas basketball the last four years.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it sucks because I feel like Louisville should be on TV more, but it's whatever. <laughs> I think that'll change next year when the ACC channel goes into effect and it's actually on TV. So um, my key in this game is somebody that I feel like I keep ringing that bell for, and I, a lot of people hate him for our team. But he's going to have to play big in this game and one thing that we were mentioning, I'm not. This isn't my guy, but Dingodile is back uh, for this game. He sat out the past two games with this with that uh, sprained ankle, uh, but he is back for this game, as far as I've heard. As, everything I've heard is saying that he's back. But VJ King is going to be my is going to be my. I guess you can't really say sleeper because he's a starter. He's been started the whole season. But if VJ plays the way he has the past couple of games, which is move the ball to get it back don't shot hunt even though to me he is the I don't know how to word it, the best tough shot maker on our team if that makes sense like if we need a bucket he's one I want with the ball he's gonna make a tough shot Right,
1: late shot clock situation yeah
0: late shot clock situation VJ King even though I know he made the mistake down the stretch against Syracuse that's fine, whatever or Florida State whoever that was he he when he plays well the team plays well and The biggest thing is, is with Dingadell coming back, this team has to keep in their mind what they did in that winning streak when Dingadell was playing, when we beat Florida State, when we beat other teams like that. Move the ball and get it back. Because when we move the ball, we can play with anybody in the nation. That's a proven fact. We went to Florida State, beat Florida State. We uh, We beat other teams, and we played well against Virginia. Virginia wasn't hitting all those shots. It's a totally different ball game. So my my sleeper person for Louisville is V J King. And I think V J King has a big game because like like we were just talking about, you guys aren't really that known for defense. Maybe this could be that game that breaks them out and lets him play like that again.
1: I think overall, too, VJ has been a sleeper for his career. Coming in last season, everybody in the Louisville area had high expectations from him, probably a little bit too high, but if you watch this kid in high school, the kid can flat out play and you can plug and play him into any system. I think now that he's changed systems, which I know the Paget system has some similarities to the Patino system, I think you let him get a little more accustomed to the system. I could still see him potentially being drafted this year, to be honest, but I hope he comes back for you all next year, and I could see him having a really big year next year. But that's getting ahead of ourselves. As far as the game tomorrow, I agree with you. He could be a very key component if you all want to win that game.
0: Back to what – I don't I don't think this is his year to go. I think next year, like you were just alluding to, I think next year is his year to go. I think next year it's his team. And him playing with Darius, who is, to me, a much better – Player for him because Darius is a lot quicker, goes to the rim a lot more, and still looks for passes, right. which is going to be allow VJ to float the wing and get his shot like that. So that's I think next year is going to be a big year for VJ.
1: I think you'll speed up that tempo next year. Then is exactly what you're saying. Yeah. The one thing I will counter with that too is you look at the North Carolina roster. Obviously, I'm a North Carolina fan. You look at the North Carolina roster from last year. A guy who was exactly that player, Tony Bradley. I mean, this man is a center who's almost a 7-foot center, but he only averaged, uh, if I remember correctly, it was either 17 or 18 minutes per game. Those minutes ramped up at the end of the season as well, too. I would have never thought that he was going to be drafted. He did not sign an agent because he wanted to have a chance at coming back, but you ended up seeing him, once he got to the draft, they were very high on him, and I think his intangibles as far as his body and everything played into that, his size, um, but VJ is a guy that I think if he did get into that draft process, uh, I think he could impress a lot of guys who they were looking at him. I can agree with that. It's just, I guess we'll see
0: there. Right. I'm looking at Charles roster, and I just saw a name. I know I'm bringing this out of nowhere. I just saw a name that I totally forgot about. All right. And I can't believe we haven't talked about him, because if you remember about four or five years ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, all you saw was this kid's mixtapes. Why is Seventh Woods only averaging 1.7 points a game?
1: If you look at it, Seventh Woods has actually only played 10 games this season, and the last two games, I believe, I could be you know, a game off. But are when he's just coming back from his injury as well. So too. he's been hurt. Yes. So but if you look at that, you know, we North Carolina this year will go ten or eleven deep. We actually had a brief conversation about it earlier, but we had a guy who I was very high on, Jalik Felton, who's currently not playing for us. Yeah. He's got some off court issues that we won't go into, but um the, the North Carolina athletic program's trying to protect him, trying to get ahead of all that stuff. So what a better time for Seventh Woods to come back in try to get his legs under him before the ACC tournament, and try to be a great addition to a team that's already 10 deep. Because, I don't know, he was,
0: he was almost out there as much as Zion Williamson is now. Yeah. Like with his mixtapes tapes back when he was a 7th and 8th grader, that's all you saw was 7th Woods tapes. And it's like, I feel like his recruitment or his ratings kind of fell off because maybe it was just like, not that he wasn't good, it was just like, he was as good as he was going
1: to be at that age. I could see that. I would say watching him last year, I got to see him play. I got to see him be healthy. Um, I think he's a contributor. I don't think he's a prolific. I think he's a four-year guy. I don't think he'll play anywhere after he finishes at North Carolina. I love to see him do that. I love to see him be successful. I just don't know exactly like what you said, if that was the best that he would have been at that age. Um, I think the big thing was obviously the LeBron tape. You know yeah. th- that's what really brought him to the forefront. Um, but that's becoming more popular. You know, you look at a Bagley, you look at a uh, Trey Young. You know, if you watch their highlight reels last year, they were phenomenal. They were everything that Seventh Woods was, but their game has translated to a college level. So it's interesting to see who's hit or miss with that. Um, but I do think Seventh Woods will turn the corner. Um, in the next few games and hopefully be an addition to our team.
0: So you think he'll be, by the time this is just, I know we're going off topic here, but you think that he could be even as a key contributor as much as Joel Berry is by his senior year?
1: I I don't believe that to be true because I think Joe Barry, I mean, even if you just look at his statistics, they're monstrous. But if you're just looking at Joe Barry's statistics, that tells you nothing about what Joe Barry brings to the table. Joe Barry has hit some monstrous shots for us. And, you know, you look at a guy, Marcus Page, who's one of my – Favorite all-time Tar Heels. I mean, just a phenomenal player, but a great guy on and off the court. Barry contributed to his success because without a guy like Barry, Page would have been stuck playing the point position. And with Barry coming in and being an offensive-minded point guard, Page could still get his shots up. And those two played off each other very well. Coming into this year, it was interesting to see Barry coming back because, to be honest, I was led to believe he was gone. I think he is one of those guys who loves the college program. You hear about some of those guys, and I think he's got a dynamic bond with Roy Williams. I think a lot of our players have that relationship that um, some schools are lacking in that aspect as well too.
0: Yeah, you definitely do see guys like that. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I definitely have seen guys like that that, why are you coming back? Right. And it's like, I mean, you could even, I don't like him, but you could even say that about Grayson Allen. Like, there's really no reason Grayson Allen should still be in college. He should have left after his sophomore year. Right. And he's hurt his draft stock. Joel, I feel like Joel Berry's kind of done the same thing. I feel like he's kind of hurt his draft stock by coming back. But at the end of the day, man, if that's what they want to do, that's what they want to do. 100%.
1: I'd I guess, too, I don't have any – Facts behind this, I'd guess in the draft program last year, with him being a six-foot guard, you know they're not really too <laughs> they're not really too high on these six-foot guards. They're looking no. for more of the Lonzo balls, the six-five, the six-sixes, long, athletic, lanky, De'Aaron Foxes above the rim, elite athleticism. Barry's just a heady player who can knock down a shot. If he steps in the gym, he's in range. Um, so I do think he's got the talent level to translate to the NBA game or even an overseas player. Um, I, I am a guy who personally does not find anything wrong with playing overseas. I think for some people it's much better. You look at a Stefan Marbury, you look at a Jimmer Fredette, you look at, you know, a Michael Beasley, even though Michael Beasley is having success again. I think some of these players' games were catered to a European style of ball and the publicity that they would get over there would be much better. So I wish him nothing but the success. I think he'll be uh, an NBA player, but if he isn't, I hope he continues on his journey because I love watching him play.
0: Draft.net actually has some, I think you will agree, going to a perfect place for him. Okay. San Antonio. Right. That's a – to me, any person that you – any player coming out that is projected to go to San Antonio – that is like a four-year player that is not going to hurt you with their game. They're not going to take stupid shots. San Antonio's a perfect place to go.
1: You know, I think there's a lot that goes into that as well, too. You look at San Antonio right now, and they're in a little bit of a um, a mix-up with their point guard because you got Tony Parker coming off the bench and DeJounte Murray playing starting role. He you still have Patty Mills, too. and And Patty Mills, even though Patty Mills I would, you know – I don't know if Popovich would ever really want him to be a major ball handler. In the NBA, you don't really need a point guard, right? So scoring, offensive guard, but even a Bren Forbes you put in there as well out of Michigan State. I, I like Barry's chances against all those guys in winning some minutes, but as far as the development aspect, doesn't get much better than that. You look at you know one of our favorite NBA teams, the Cleveland Cavaliers a former Tar Heel, Danny Green, coming out of there, yeah. being drafted by Cleveland. Cleveland did nothing with him and no. never developed him whatsoever. You look at some of those successful San Antonio teams, Danny Green played a key role with the 3-and-D mindset, and that was due to Popovich you know, propelling him to that successful role.
0: That's where some sometimes I like to compare Popovich to a Bill Belichick. I knew you were going there. By the way, you get you get guys that don't that aren't successful other places, like Chris Hogan. Chris Hogan was a what lacrosse player? I believe so. And then he comes in here. He's one of our best receivers. Julian Edelman was a quarterback, and he comes in and is now one of our. He's our second best receiver, maybe our best receiver when he comes back healthy. You can maybe make the argument for Brandon Cooks, because I consider Gronk, you know, a tight end. So I'm not, but that's where. It's almost like that system, bring them in there. I can plug anybody in my receivers. I can plug anybody in my guards. If I got this system, you're not going to beat me. Right. If I have people that buy in, and that's – Joel Barry will buy in. I mean, he's been here four years. He's obviously buying into what North Carolina's doing because he's successful. Right. Been to the championship, won a title as well. And with as wide open as it is this year, they can make that run again.
1: Winning mentality, what better team to translate to than the San Antonio Spurs. I love that you brought that up because I did not know that to be 100% honest.
0: NBADraft.net, for anybody that doesn't get on there, NBADraft.net is by far the best prediction for NBA draft stuff. Again, they don't know the projections completely yet because right now they're just basing it off records. But if you look at right now, like up to date, like when the lottery comes out, you get on NBADraft.net – 90% 90% of the time they're going to be exactly right. I feel like the only time I've ever looked at them they weren't right, which no one saw the Anthony Bennett thing coming. That's really the only time I have seen them not be almost exactly correct.
1: Well, it was a good podcast until that point. Yeah. So thank thank so, you for ruining my yeah. day. So I appreciate that.
0: With, you know, that that whole guy, I mean, I'm really excited for the game. Let's get back to the game cuz right. I am excited for the game. So now comes the point to where we make a projection about who obviously, we I feel like we're both going to pick our teams to win. But what do we think the score is going to be?
1: You know, I, I think a couple things quickly. I think I really, really like North Carolina this year. I think it's been a – battle for them to get their big men ready to play because we started all freshmen this year. You got a guy, Sterling Manley, you got Garrison Brooks, you got Cam Johnson who actually has only played what, 16 16 games? games? Yep. So Cam Johnson's getting back into the mix after having some injuries as well too. I think North Carolina is on the upswing and obviously that's wishful thinking as well too. Projection wise for the game, I see an 87 to 79 victory even at the Yum Center. I do think it will be one of those games that is a little bit back and forth. Um, North Carolina is notorious for getting in end-of-game situations. I think North Carolina has players to hit free throws then at that point. So what I'm saying is basically, even though it sounds like I picked it a decent far spread, I think it will be a close game up until the end, and free throws will solidify it for us with missed threes on the opposite end. So I'm going to throw...
0: A little statistic here for you. All right. See if you know. You probably do, because I'm throwing it at you. The Since Louisville, I think it's – actually, I'm, a, I'm almost 100% positive. Every, every time that Louisville and North Carolina have played in the regular season, which teams have won?
1: The home team? The home team. Right. How it's, recent is that? Do you know?
0: It's – We've only played each other four times in the in regular the ACC, season. ACC, right. No, because we played once in uh, the tournament in, in the mid-90s and North Carolina beat us big. And we've also played in the late 90s, which was the first Louisville game I ever went to.
1: Well, I am Padgett's last game, actually, Elite 8 2008. But was... that, that's that's
0: neutral. Tournament, so right, that's what I'm right. saying. So I'd you guys done. played us twice in the tournament. Right. And then we've played, what, three times in the ACC? Right. Uh, that weren't neutral court because we played in the ACC tournament, tournament. too. Uh, but – where we play either in Chapel Hill or in the Yum Center, in the, Yum Center okay. the home team has won. I like it. I did not know that. So it's 4-0 when you talk about it like that. You guys and have beaten us, and we've beaten you all.
1: I watched that comeback. That is one of the few. You know this from talking to me outside of this. I'm not a big fan of going to games. I'd much rather watch them on TV. Yeah. Had to go check out the Yum Center. Phenomenal place to watch a game great people there not the most raucous crowd in the world but that's okay for me a little bit of a wine and cheese crowd is what they call it it's an nba crowd yeah yeah i'd agree well besides the fact that they all hate nba but it is an nba crowd but i watched your cardinals come back and put a big win on them so i should have known that statistic but i think that is a very big statistic
0: and i think it's i think it holds true i think it holds true after this game um and I think the reason why I think I think we lock you – not lock you guys up because I still think you guys score over 70. I think it is Louisville 82, North Carolina 75. It'll be, like you said, back and forth because I think, to be honest with you, I think these teams talent-wise are evenly matched. I do. I think this is, even though it's, we were just bashing on them and I've bashed on them in the past. Our crowd's normally not a big factor – this game, I think the crowd will be a factor, and I think the crowd is what's gonna is what is gonna lead us to this victory. The crowd getting behind us, we'll hit a couple big shots. We may even get down early at the beginning of the second half. We'll hit. We'll do something that will spurn this run, and I think we win by seven. So, what? But because I know we've been talking NBA stuff and all that stuff. Could you picture with like right now? With how he's playing again, nobody saw this. Even Louisville fans this season. Could you? What What do you think? Let's just say, because you guys lost pretty. Everybody but Tony Bradley were all seniors, correct? Correct, I believe.
1: Yes. Well, what, Justin Jackson was a junior. Is that right?
0: I feel like Justin Jackson. He felt. I feel like he was there for forever too. But let's say we had Donovan
1: Mitchell. Justin Jackson was a junior. He was a junior. Yes. Okay. He did feel like he was there forever, but now he's being replaced by his big brother Cam Johnson. <laughs> so,
0: so with with that Donovan Mitchell, right? We're gonna. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just throw this at you. All right, we're, we won't even talk about having Donovan Mitchell in this. I game. can already
1: tell you this is gonna be a crazy comment.
0: Nah, this isn't gonna be a comment. It's gonna be a question. Okay. Putting you on the spot, you got answer right now. No thinking. You say the first one. Got it. Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell, Rookie of the Year. Ben Simmons. Okay, and then. To me, there's, I, I see arguments from both sides.
1: I think the disappointing thing is that Ben Simmons is not an all-star, so therefore you have to. Now, in the last 11 games, Donovan Mitchell has boosted his stock. I don't think Donovan Mitchell was even a top two guy. Well, it's tough to say that because I put Jason Tatum up there as well too. Jason Tatum has had a big key to Boston Celtics, and I'm not knocking Donovan because I was a huge Spider fan, and I'm you know me, I'm not a UFL fan. I'm not a UFL hater. Yeah. I'm a realist. But I thought his game was a, a very unique style of game that could go anywhere and do anything. I, but see, like I always
0: loved his game. And I knew he worked hard, but I never expected him. Again, he's only halfway through his rookie season. Right. Never expected this to happen.
1: Right. To be in the conversation for rookie of the year, I mean, think about it. I, I get what you're saying there, and I am not going to say that I projected that at all. Yeah. I'm not surprised that he's having success, but I would have never guessed he would be where he's at.
0: It's funny because you,
1: the the thing that I always
0: think about, or that I keep thinking about when I hear about this, because you think about some of the players that have gone to the NBA, and you think maybe was Patino holding them back? You think I always think of the mindset that the only the or the the old quote was the only person that could hold Michael Jordan under 20 points was Dean Smith. <laughs> that was such a funny quote to me, and then. You see Donovan Mitchell averaging over 20 points a game now in the NBA.
1: Right. I hate this philosophy, though, to be 100% honest. But where – like, let him go.
0: Let him go last year. I felt like sometimes he did hold him back.
1: Well, it's two different types of games. I mean, obviously you've got different styles of play, but also as far as the minutes involved, I think an NBA game caters more to a little bit one-on-one ball with the 24-second shot clock and 12-minute quarters, whereas your 20-minute halves – you really kind of got to value every possession. Uh, in the NBA, you really don't see a crazy amount of turnovers, but in the college, sometimes you see games. So I think that might all contribute to it. I have heard of multiple players, and I think we could go down a list and just start rambling off players who have been that type of player. But with that being said, um, I don't think Patino was – I think – if and. This is, you know, I don't know. I'm going out on a limb here. I think Patino wanted him to do more than what he was doing. Okay. I think with a Russ Smith, he had a real Russ Smith in, right? Yeah. And he had to say, calm it down, Russ, a little bit. I think with the Donovan Mitchell, he was having to go, listen, we need you to get going, young man. This possession, we need you to get a shot. Don't defer. We need you to take a tough shot.
0: Yeah, I definitely see what you're saying with that. I mean – there were definitely times where he did let him go and, you know, he went off. I felt like he played well against you guys last year. Donovan did. Yep. Um, so, but with that, you know, Donovan's in the dunk contest this year, which I'm really, really excited about. Um, but we're going to go into the skills challenge first. Skills challenge, I I kind of don't like how they did it, but I guess it makes sense how they break it up big men and guards. I don't like how they do that. But I guess I do kind of get it because you want the big men to kind of want to do it. So what we'll do then is we'll put who we think is going to be in the finals for that one. And then, actually, let's do that for all of them. We'll say, this is my two finalists. This is my winner for all of them. We can do that. So
1: The one thing I want to say quickly, though, is you're leaving a little something out. My man, man, Biebs... Is kind of getting buckets right now so you know don't let's not forget about the celebrity game don't want to pick anything <laughs> uh, but big props to the Beebs for coming out of retirement to get back to this game
0: I'd be honest with you I didn't even look at the at the uh, the uh, celebrity game roster
1: wasn't very good to be honest when it first came out I was not intrigued at all and since names have been added that I have liked um, you know, you're gonna laugh at this. I don't really know how to pronounce his name. It might be Quavo. Might be Quavo. Quavo. Yeah. Quavo.
0: From, he can actually do.
1: He's actually he's got some uh, game. He does. Yeah, I've seen some mixtapes, highlight reels. Um, he's running the LA fitnesses out there. Yada yada yada. Listen yeah. anytime he wants to bring his talents to Southern Indiana, he knows where to find us. <laughs>
0: yeah. He's actually a. He actually a really good football player. If that's something you've never seen, mm. look up his football. Like Duke, could play some football. I could see it. Um. so uh, we got in the skills challenge the guards we got Lou Williams we got Buddy Heald Jamal Murray and Spencer Dinwiddie the big men we got Joel Embiid Lori Markinen, Al Horford and Andre Drummond I'm gonna go ahead and say this Andre Drummond I don't think he's gonna make the finals for either one of us <laughs> why Shocker. why in the world is Andre Drummond in this skills challenge
1: You know, I'd agree with you. But with that being said, I like that he's in there because I think it's going to be fun to watch. The other thing is if you look at the last couple of years, if you took the logical picks, you were not winning these bets. So with that being said... I'm not personally going to pick him. I was kind of hoping you were, but no. I'm not going to be shocked if he even does good on a round because this is a thing I've seen on It's all about efficiency, right? So you've got to make those passes. You don't have to be the fastest person on the court, but you got to have a little bit of giddy-up to you. And then obviously the three-point bucket at the end is a key part of it. That's not Drummond's game necessarily to speak.
0: That's where I was going with it. It's not the passing. Right. It's not the layups. It's not the dribbling.
1: Which I don't think he does any of that well. The dude, dude
0: <laughs> shoots 41%, not from three, <laughs> from the free throw line for a career. And you're going to get in a skills challenge where you got to shoot a three. Dude, you can't shoot a free throw. This is his highest percentage of his career, and he's shooting
1: 62.5%. Interesting addition. I'd agree 100%. Glad he is able to take his talents to that game and wish him nothing but the best.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't dislike Andre Drummond. I don't want... It to, I don't want people to think that I'm bashing on Andre Drummond because I don't like him. I like Andre Drummond. Yeah. But why are you doing a skills challenge, bro?
1: Yeah, Dude. maybe another teammate from his team, Blake Griffin, would have been a bigger choice. Now I'm a much, you know, I'm a uh, a big Drummond fan because I think Drummond is a key contributor to that team. Yeah. Maybe just not for this event. <laughs> no.
0: Yeah. So I'm going. My big man is going to be Al Horford.
1: Wow. I would have thought you were going to go with Embiid, if I'm honest. But Al Horford is a solid choice. I
0: just – I don't know what it is about him. I think it's because the – you're going to laugh at this comparison, but the tortoise and the hare. All right. He's not very fast, but he's going to be very, very locked in. He's going to do it fundamentally sound. and He can shoot. Right. I almost – be honest with you, Embiid was probably my third pick because Markkanen's leading all big men in threes. Well, I didn't think you were going to choose Markkanen, to be honest, but we'll get into that in a second. Markkinen, I saw a stat yesterday. He has
1: 156 threes, I believe, for a big man. That's big. And Markinen has been on the best steroids in the world because if you look at him from college compared to now, the dude's probably put on 60 pounds of solid muscle. He's probably got a 0.00. He needs to
0: check that guy's back knee and see if he's got some.
1: Let's do a little bit of testing. That's all I'm
0: saying. So... (laughs) That's my big man finals. Who, who are you going to put in your big man finals? Well, that
1: was going to be my question to you. Is Markkinen considered a big man? Because even well, he, though he's yeah, above...
0: In this, he has to be, Okay. Yeah.
1: Even though he's above seven foot, I still think he's a small forward. Um... You know, since you badmouth my man Embiid from the hometown seventy six, no, I'm not badmouth. because oh, I, no, no, no. I love Embiid. You badmouth them because you said that Horford was going to be your pick over him. I'm actually going to send him out a little tweet and let's see what he has you're to say. You trust in the process, yeah? We'll see. So I'm going to go with my man, man Embiid for the big guys, even though my heart tells me marketing. I'm going to go with my head and go Embiid. Okay, uh, even though that's backwards.
0: So but. again, our guards are Lou Williams, Buddy Hield. Jamal Murray, Spencer Dinwiddie, which to me, all except for Dinwiddie, not really known for passing. No. I mean, not really known for passing. Yeah.
1: Passing to the rim, they yeah, did really yeah. well.
0: So, uh, I'm not going to go with what people may think is the obvious choice with Dinwiddie because of the passing part. Mm. I'm going with my heart because I love him. I'm going with Buddy Heald. Okay. I lo- I always love Buddy Heald. It's Heald. That's my... It's my favorite play, non-Louisville player in college right i love buddy healed so i gotta i gotta stick with my with my boy buddy healed
1: the bohemian uh and i don't think that's a bad choice by any means um i i don't personally choose him i don't think he's going to do that great but the thing that we're not thinking about as well too is exactly um what has helped the last couple of guys to win it's the whole demeanor how many of these guys are going to go out there and just want to kill everybody and want to go for the win? And how many of these guys are going to want to go out there and look like the cool guy?
0: I already know where you're going. I already, I can already tell who you're going to pick.
1: So this has played into my decision, and it might even surprise you a little bit with you thinking, I want to choose Lou Williams because I love Lou Williams. That's what I thought you were going to pick. Yeah, well, it is. actually met him on an airplane ride um, in Atlanta. Um, was a huge fan of him coming out of high school as well, too. But I think he's going to come out and do the pretty boy role. He's going to come out and go, yep, I'm here. I made it. Should have been an all-star. He's not really coming to win. So the surprise pick that I have for you, and some of your fans are going to love this, and some of your fans are going to hate this, but I'm going to go with the three-point shooting Jamal Murray uh, to win this because I think he's got a little bit of everything. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. My biggest worry – is he misses that first pass, and that throws his entire rhythm up. Because you see those guys who miss that first – I forget if they do the bounce pass or the chest pass first. Do you remember? I believe
0: it's uh, uh, chest pass first.
1: So the chest pass I think will be okay. The bounce pass is what I'm worried about with him, to be honest. So it will be interesting to see, but Jamal Murray will be my pick for for the guards.
0: Okay. So, by the way, we need to set this up one time and try to do this. Like, I would love to try to do this in a gym just to see how hard it actually is. 100%. Like, that that's something that – that's thats a future reference type thing. So, your finalists are Jamal Murray, Joel Embiid. I got Al Horford, Buddy Heal. Who's your winner?
1: So, being as though the, I believe the last two years have been bigs, Carl Anthony Towns, and who was the other one, Kristaps? Uh,
0: I believe Davis was in there, too, one time.
1: Okay. Um, and, and I know he beat Hayward, who once again, Hayward is kind of you know a tweener or a three, whatever you want to put him, um, but I think the tides turn this year, and I think the guards are a little bit going, okay, let us go back to doing what we're supposed to do. We need to win this because we're guards, so I've got Jamal Murray for the win.
0: So the past two winners have been big men. Okay. Like you said, Porzingis, Carl Anthony Towns. For that it was Patrick Beverly and Damian Lillard and Trey Burke t- tied. Right. Oh no, Trey was yeah they tied. Should never happen. No, that's just disgusting. So we, who, you pick who to win now, Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray is my pick to so you, win. You're spurning the old big man thing. That's correct. I'm keeping it there. I like it. Al Horford's gonna get the W.
1: It's exactly what you said earlier with Horford though. The tried and true can shoot it. He's gonna have a good tempo to him. Uh, The one thing I would question with your pick, and, you know, it's your pick, is he coming out to win? So that will be interesting to see. Well,
0: this is what – he's not going to be in if he ain't coming out to win it. Right. So move on to the three-point shootout. A lot of good shooters. A couple guys that I'm also like – like one is Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris is shooting like – I think I looked it up. He was shooting like 18% from the three-point line this year. Not very good. (laughs) Maybe in the 20s. I can't remember exactly what it was. But you got Clay Thompson, Kyle Lowry, Eric Gordon, Paul George, Bradley Beal, your boy Wayne Ellington, Sorry. Devin Booker, Tobias Harris.
1: I think the thing we're obviously missing with this as well, too, is clearly they're having a hard time getting a lot of people to sign up for these things. A lot of guys are more wanting to use this as a vacation or a break from the grind of things than they're wanting to come showcase their talent. So that might play into it.
0: And some guys look at this three-point shootout kind of like how baseball players look at the home run derby. messes up your swing right. or messes up your shot. I've heard some guys say that that messes up your rhythm with that. Well,
1: it's interesting because some people are shooters off the bounce, off the dribble. Some people are shooters off the catch from the pass. This is neither. This is shooting off a rack. And I can tell you from experience, there's a rhythm that you can get in that is different than catching off the shoot and catching off the bounce. Some people love that. Some people hate that. But if you look at the past winners in the three-point contest as well, too, Sometimes you get a guy who's the perennial favorite. Other times you get a guy like a Paul Pierce in 2010, a Daquan Cook in 2009, uh, a Quentin Richardson in 2005, a Sean Leonard in 2004. Just guys that maybe you want to pick beginning the season uh, to win that event.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, there are some pretty solid shoot- – Quentin Richardson I think is the biggest surprise out of all those.
1: He could shoot it, though. I mean, Yeah, he, but, he, I mean,
0: out of all those guys you named, though – Right. He's not one you really think of.
1: I would say Paul Pierce, personally, just because while Paul Pierce can shoot it, as far as a three-point competition, I would have never seen Paul Pierce being the best in the NBA at that.
0: But with this contest, we do have the past two winners in it. Right. Uh,
1: Eric Gordon and Clay Thompson.
0: And I definitely think that those two will definitely be near the top. So let's, let's go your finalists. Who are your two finalists?
1: Two finalists? Yeah. I would say, you know, obviously this is going to be a great three-point contest. I think this might be the closest contest that we have out of all of them. Um, I think, obviously, with the Tobias Harris and the Wayne Ellington, not knocking my guy from North Carolina, but maybe those two guys, and you could even put a Kyle Lowry, you know, were interesting picks. But the thing I say about all these is everybody has a chance to win. And
0: I would even throw Paul George in there. Like, Paul George is, to me, like, if Paul George is feeling it, oh, my God. But if Paul George's shot is not on, like that's the four that when I first saw the list, that's the four that stuck out to me. It was like, I'm almost putting them over here.
1: Right. Well, different types of shooters as yeah. well, too. The one thing I'll say about Paul George is Paul George is having a career year from the three point line. He's shooting just over forty three percent this year from the yeah. three point line, which is phenomenal. I mean that that is incredible. Whereas his career average is just a shade under thirty eight percent. So I like that they rewarded him for that. Um, by putting him in the event, but I'm not going to choose him for my finalists, for my two finalists for me. And, you know, obviously with this, this is such a crapshoot. You want to go with the two defending champions. You know what I mean? I want to put a little bit of, or, or I want to go off the beaten path, I guess. That, those two, Eric Gordon and Clay Thompson, would be the consensus intelligent answers. I'm going to change that up. I'm going to go with Devin Booker, and my bias pick of Wayne Ellington. Okay. So the Devin Booker is the guy who I'm going to pick to win. I'm already going to go ahead and let you know that. Just because it's like I said, the Wayne Ellington, I'm really putting him in there to support the Tar Heels. This is a Tar Heels versus L podcast. Tough for me to not pick him. <laughs> Don't be surprised if Eric Gordon and Clay Thompson end up duking it out for another um, three-point championship, though.
0: Well, thanks for stealing my two <laughs> finalists because I was almost there with – I was this close to – and it's not because I don't like Devin Booker. It's just I think these two guys have that in their mind that like we're getting back to the finals because I want I want to show who's the better out of the two. So my two are Clay Thompson and Eric Gordon. Right.
1: I think Klay Thompson brings it every time he steps on the court as well, too. So I know 100% positively he's going to come out and try to do his best. Eric Gordon's a little more wishy-washy, but the way that Eric Gordon shoots the ball is incredible. Um, the the interesting thing about that, he is having a career low as well, too, with shooting 33.4%, where his career average is 374 Throw that out the window. This yeah. is a couple of shots, and – I would be shocked if he wasn't ready to go.
0: My winner is going to be, Clay Thompson. I like it. I, I just, I, I like, I just like Clay Thompson in this. I can't really give you an argument either way because both of them are great shooters. Well, I and, think
1: you know where I'm going from here as well too. But my question to you, coming back with that, being okay. as though you're picking Clay. Who's the better shooter at that point out of the Splash Brothers? Are, are you still going to side with a guy of Steph Curry for not being I've, in it, or are you going to reward a guy of Clay Thompson? Obviously, we're just talking about the three-point shot as well too, whereas a shot is a shot. But who are you taking? Um,
0: Last-second shot. Who am I giving it to? Yeah,
1: that's a good good way. And and maybe it's you can do this in two ways as a coach. You can either give the guy a ball and let him create his own shot. Or you can run a play to get him a shot.
0: See, you're putting this on me, right? And I, and I can't stand that I have to say this, right? Because I've said it before, and people have asked me how it felt coming out of my mouth. Steph Curry's the best shooter of all time. Wow, I I don't like him. I don't like the Warriors. Right. I I don't really think there's much argument for it. There, I don't think there's an argument against it. I mean.
1: Tough to argue as far as statistically and everything. I want to, just like you were saying. Um, you can't. Yeah. It's not blasphemy, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, and I think by the end of his career, Clay Thompson will be too. Yeah. Like, I literally think you had the two best shooters of all time on the same team.
1: The thing I love, though, is Clay Thompson is a two-way player, whereas Curry, if you watch Curry, Curry plays very hard, but he here, cannot here's, here's
0: an argument I'm going to settle on here. All right. It's the fact that everyone always brings up the steals that Steph Curry gets. Oh. Steph Curry gets weak side steals because of Klay Thompson's defense. Correct. Because of Draymond Green's defense. Because of Kevin Durant's defense. Elite on-ball defense. It's very rare. It happens, but it's very rare that you see Steph Curry take somebody's rock. It does not happen very often. Right.
1: What we like to call cookies.
0: Yes. It doesn't happen very often with Steph Curry. No. So that's why I never want to hear people – people want to dog James Harden for his defense. James Harden just doesn't play hard in the defenseman most of the time. He can defend when he wants to. Yeah. Steph Curry is not a good defender.
1: Just not. Well, other things, Steph Curry has behind him a guy who's going to lay the wood if you get into the paint. Um, so that's a big plus. And then you mentioned the other perennial elite defenders – um, you know, not to change topics or anything like that, but you look at the Isaiah Thomas situation with going to the Cavs and now being at the Lakers. I say there was never a better fit for Isaiah Thomas. The last pick in the draft um, bounced around from Sacramento to Phoenix to Boston to Cleveland to LA than Boston. Because if you look at that team that Boston had around him, they were all perennial defenders. And then you could let him have the ball in space at the end of the game. That's why he was so clutch in the fourth quarter because they just gave him the ball, everybody got out of his way, and then they knocked down open jumpers whenever they were there. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how he does as well too, not changing subjects, yeah. but um, tying that in.
0: And I, I did go back on it because – and I, I don't know why. I, I guess it was just arguing for the team that I wanted to win, but I know the argument I made last year, and it was a fact – Isaiah Thomas was last in the NBA in percentage of people scoring on him right. for guards. He was dead last. It wasn't like he was second. He was dead last.
1: Right. He's one of the worst on-ball defenders guard-wise that there is in the NBA, if not the worst. He's the polar opposite of what you've seen from smaller guys in the past. You look at a Muggsy Bogues. You look at a Spud Webb. Earl Boykins. Earl Boykins. They got up in you. They guarded you full court. Nate and, Robinson. yeah. So he he just – he didn't do himself any favors. I don't think he ever wanted to be that type of guy. Um, So not knocking him, he's got a lot of game, but I don't think his stock is going to be any higher than what it was last season. And I think, once again, you come back to a guy named Danny Ainge, he's kind of had a crystal ball there in Boston. Um, Tough to say anybody's ever done it better than what Danny Ainge has done there, seeing everything unfold the way it has. So –
0: That moves us to the highlight of the night, which until about, what, three years ago, 2015, it was kind of garbage for a while.
1: Well, it depends who you talk to about that. I still enjoyed watching it for the competition aspect. As far as seeing stuff that I hadn't really seen, I still was seeing some dunks, but it was like a Jeremy Evans dunking over a portrait of himself. Not too impressed with something like that. The creativity was cool. Um, didn't get me out of my seat by any means.
0: Not until that Zach Levine-Aaron Gordon show. That was – some people still go to the 2000 dunk contest in Oakland with Vince Carter or the – Jason Richardson. Or the the 80 – what, the 88 Jordan or the 87 Jordan against Dominique. Yeah. I, what was it, 2015? or yeah, it was 2016 in Toronto. I think that's the best dunk contest ever.
1: Tough to argue against it. I think there will be people who have sentimental ties to other ones, such as myself. You know, you look at the 2008 competition, one of the most underrated competitions, I was there personally to witness it, so hence my was, bias. Was that
0: the one where he went to the phone booth and took it and had the cape? And he That was the one where he, and Nate Robinson came out with the basketball that was uh, glowing green?
1: What it was was, to be 100% honest, a stolen event from Gerald Green. Gerald Green did the most impressive dunks I've ever witnessed with my own two eyes. And somehow he just got overhyped by the whole Dwight Howard train.
0: Was that the one where he blew out the cupcake? Correct. The, that was that was a good one. Yeah. He took was. this
1: man took his shoes off in bare feet and socks, walks up and does a between the leg dunk like it was absolutely nothing. Somehow, just nobody respected anything he was doing there because he was a no-name playing for the T-Wolves at that time. I wasn't cheering for him because he was a T-Wolf at that point. Yeah. So,
0: our four guys in the dunk contest, we got Dennis Smith Jr., the local guy, Victor Oladipo, your boy, Larry Nance Jr., which I'm starting to like a lot as well.
1: The son of a former champion,
0: Larry Nance. And the other local fella here Donovan Mitchell.
1: Excuse me. Larry Nance Jr is the son of the original Larry champion Nance. as well too. 1984 first dunk contest the NBA puts on as a whole Larry Nance of the Phoenix Suns wins you, that. You
0: have to you have to know that he's coming out in his dad's uniform at some
1: point. 100%. As a it's tribute gonna dunk. And, you know, the thing is, I'm not going to be mad at him if he does it. I'm not going to be mad at him if he doesn't do it. I hope he gives a tribute to his father. I hope he creates his own legacy in the dunk contest.
0: Okay. I can I can see that. So, your finalists, Who are you, who are you going with in the
1: finals? Finalist. Well, let's go over a couple things quickly, being as though this is the key event. Don't want to be here too long or anything, but you look at Victor Oladipo six foot four 42 inch vertical right you've got your Larry Nance jr six foot nine 44 inch vertical Dennis Smith Jr. six foot three 48 inch vertical Donovan Mitchell 6 two we talked about it earlier six
0: three with shoes is S- what he says
1: 610 wingspan though yeah. and then just over a 40 inch vertical to the best of my memory I would not be surprised if it's happened before. All four guys having well over a 40-inch vertical in most cases is extremely impressive to me, and I am extremely excited to watch it. Um, with all those facts given, I'll cut right to the chase. Um, are you wanting...
0: Who who you think is going to be the finalist? Finalists. And then you can... And then we'll save our winners like like we did in the first round.
1: For the finalists, you know, it, it's going to be an interesting thing because I really genuinely think all four players could be the guy that's something that we were
0: That's something we were talking about, yeah.
1: It's all about the planning involved with it. It's all about who's going to want to win it, right? There's some guys who are going to come out there to put on a show. There's some guys who are going to come out there and not really have a game plan. With that being said... Once again, all of my picks have a little bit of bias involved with them, so I'm going to go ahead and put Larry Nance Jr. in there. I think he's a little bit of a novelty being the only 6'9 guy. Typically, that's harming people, but when you see somebody that size fly the way he does, I'm hoping he's going to have somebody who's going to throw him some oops because I think that will be his best chance of winning. But I'm going to go ahead and move him into the finals. And I'll be honest, not knocking a former UofL player, but it was a very tough decision for me between Dennis Smith Jr. and Victor Oladipo. We mentioned this briefly earlier, and if you look back to Victor Oladipo's previous stint in the All-Star Dunk Contest, he really came out to win it. Um, obviously, outgunned by a Zach Levine who would have outdoled anybody that yeah. night. But with that being said, I'm going to give the nod to Victor Oladipo. So my two finalists are going to be Oladipo and Nance Jr.
0: So I'll go ahead and skip the part where I'm going to go in because you know who I'm, I'm picking one finalist, Donovan Mitchell. Right. Now the other one, I'm going to give you a background on why I'm saying he's going to be this finalist. Love the argument you have for Larry Nance. Love the argument you have for Victor Oladipo. But what is one big thing that a lot of people look for in dunk contests? The power of the dunk. Right. Ferocity. Dennis Smith, in this dunk contest, he and Donovan
1: Mitchell are probably the two most powerful dunkers. And if it was those two dunking off, I would love to see that because let me just tell you, both those guys fly out of the gym. To me, I wish
0: they would throw the rules aside and just say, "Hey, you four dunk about four times, and then we we'll, at the end of it, we'll pick a winner out of the four of you." Right. I don't want I don't want to see two guys do two dunks and then the other two guys do four dunks. I want to see you all do all four dunks apiece. Give me everything you got. And then at the end of it, we'll pick winners like that based off what your scores have been. The
1: whole 10-point system is flawed anyways yeah. because what do you grade it against? How do you know when it's a 50? Yeah. Are you giving out all 50s? Not to sit on my soapbox, but I think that would actually do a lot of good to help them or a change in some form of fashion would be cool.
0: Yeah. So, my finalists, the two little guys in the competition, Dennis Smith and Donovan Mitchell. I like it. So... I got to stick with my boy in the win, so I'm gonna go ahead and knock myself out of this early because I think everybody knew where I was going with who I thought was gonna win anyway. So now, kicking it to you for who you think is going to win out of your Victor Oladipo, Larry Nance Jr.
1: First of all, I like your picks and I like your logic behind your picks. But with that being said, for me, um, you know, I've got two great finalists in mind as well too. So it's funny you've got two, I've got the opposite two the opposite to i i think it's like i said it all comes down to victor aladipo wants to win it and he's going to come in there he might come out singing like he did before he might come out dancing i've seen him recently doing some stand up comedy the guy is a professional at whatever he does yeah i think he's going to bring that same bring his lunch pail to work get stuff done mentality and i think but the thing about it is I think all four of these guys can put on a show so I'm looking forward to it. The one thing I will say is I pray the Miss dunk plague does not come uh, to fruition. We've seen it in the past where you've got a dunk contest with guys that you really want to see go out there and put on good dunks. They try to do dunks that are just a little too tough. Um, you're sitting there watching all these other events going on. you're not your legs aren't warm. you aren't in the gym ready to go. That's my only concern with that contest, and that will be my concern every year.
0: It, it's that's the worst thing about it because it's it's one of those things where it has the it has the capabilities of being the most exciting thing of the weekend, but it also has the capability of being the most disappointing thing of the weekend. Right. Because of what you just brought up, the missed dunk play, and I hate that. I hate when that happens because it's like. You know these guys have been working on this stuff. And it's like, you know these guys have put this stuff down when now you're in front of... I mean, I do not been to it. Did they just only open up the bottom row f- or the bottom level of this for the dunk contest? Or they open up the whole thing?
1: The whole thing. I mean, sa- Saturday night was all three events were there. in New Orleans was yeah. the year that I was there. And it was a packed house.
0: So, you're doing this in front of everybody only watching you. Right. It's tough. It's tough. So. Yeah, it's it's interesting though you're picking an eye, you gotta win
1: it I am uh, the other thing that goes into this for me as well too is you know they try to motivate these guys with money you know yeah. you win it you get certain things I don't think a lot of these guys are motivated by money. So I think the thing that's going to be the motivating factor for Oladipo is coming back for redemption. I think he really wanted a better score than what he got previously in this event, and this is his chance to redeem himself. Uh, Funny that he's back with the Pacers this year having a career year. I think he's very comfortable in his skin this year in the role he's playing. I think that leads into the All-Star game and helps propel him to success as well too.
0: I can't lie, he kind of surprised me this year. Because you kind of were almost on the on the fence of, was he a bust? You were almost there because he was just second pick overall. He's been pretty much just a role player his whole career. Well, so. the
1: other question that comes to mind then, is he a bust? or did Orlando get rid of him too early? Because Orlando really gave him away for not much. So then, going to Oklahoma City, the story continues because now you've got Paul George who left the Pacers um, and was your 2-3-4, goes to Oklahoma City in turn for a 2-3-4 Victor Oladipo. It's funny how that whole story has progressed. I'm glad to see him doing well. Always liked his game, and I'm not an IU fan, um, but it's interesting because you listen to the guy talk and you can tell, you know, he wants to be successful. Um, you know, his father really pushed him to be a doctor and, and do some different things other than play basketball. But uh, he's made his own name for himself at this point. And uh, it's, it's fun to watch that man do what he does. So our three winners, I had
0: Horford, I had... Uh, Clay Thompson I had Donovan Mitchell Right Your three winners you had, uh, hey, you had uh You had No you had Jamal Murray I thought You had Jamal Murray Beating the beat. Correct
1: Excuse me I thought we were Listing all six Sorry And then
0: you had uh, De- Devin Booker Right And you had uh, Victor Oladipo Correct So Man I thank you for coming on I, I think this is, episode Is as good as I thought It would be Whenever you and I Talked about From the very beginning Of me starting a podcast And we talked about you being on I thought this is as good as I thought we would do together. So I'm excited we get to talk about this stuff, though. I'm just glad that the game and this All-Star Weekend falls on the same weekend because it's something we're both passionate about.
1: I love it, but let me stop you there, Beef. Okay. This podcast, if I'm not mistaken, is called Beef's Beef. Is that correct? It is. It is. So, Beef, I've got a little bit of a beef or what I would like to say a bone to pick,
0: brother. Which is something that I haven't, it's not that I've ever told anyone not to give me a beef because I've told people, hey man, if you have a beef that you want to bring up on here, do it. And I told you that beforehand, and you said, oh, I got one. So I'm excited to finally have somebody on the podcast that is going to give me a beef. So let's hear it.
1: So this is the thing my beef could be with anything, about anyone, anytime, right? I'm a big fan of beef, I love beef. With that being said, my beef is actually beef himself this time. Okay, You listen to previous podcasts, and obviously I'm an avid listener. I've listened to every podcast that you've had. There's subtle undertones of a North Carolina hater running through your veins. And the thing that I know behind the scenes is that not only are you not a North Carolina hater, but you do not have anything against them in the least bit. The thing I would say that has been the most interesting to me topic-wise has been two things. Obviously, the allegations about North Carolina with the whole academic investigation, and then now I'm hearing a lot about the seeding of North Carolina recently, which I think both you and I can agree the seeding means absolutely nothing. With that being said, there were some Interesting decisions with the seeding committees. You know, I bring up Oklahoma losing six out of their last eight and being ranked what they were ranked.
0: But to be fair, not to interrupt you, mm-hmm. I did mention Oklahoma being overrated as well.
1: True. So with that being said, those are my two beefs, which therefore create one beef um, in general.
0: So you are absolutely correct. Uh, North Carolina, since I was a little kid, has always been my second favorite team but just like let's look at it this way you have family i have family you have a sister i have brothers you have two sisters i have seven brothers at some point you get annoyed with those people correct you can love them all you want but at some point you get very annoyed because they get away with something that you don't that's where that underlining i wouldn't call it hatred it's an annoyance
1: And there's nothing wrong with that, because as a fan, you are entitled to that opinion. But what I want to say on this podcast is, have we presented the factual evidence to all of these situations? The one side of the story is obviously with the rankings. I've got no side to that story, right? Because the rankings are what those people chose. I'm not involved with that. I don't know what their thought process is. You know when I see a travel that North Carolina does, I say that's a travel. If the other team does a travel, I say that's a travel.
0: I think that's something that you and I are – Pretty much on the same level as what, if our our team is doing something, you and I will call them out for it.
1: We always want to see our team do the best. We're realists in the sense of if something happens, we are going to acknowledge it. We're not going to give it its own platform, but we're going to acknowledge it. So the thing about the North Carolina investigation that I want to just let all these listeners know as well, too, is have you done your homework? Has well,
0: the, here's the thing. They didn't do their homework, so right. that's kind of a funny question. That they ask. I'm not
1: saying you. I'm saying them. I'm this talking about I'm North
0: Carolina players didn't do their homework, so I think <laughs> that's kind of a funny thing to, to bring into the aspect because it's like you're asking if we did a homework, did they do their homework?
1: Well, that's clearly they did not. That's yeah, the thing. So. But this is the thing that it is, right? So I don't know if anybody knows anything about what – Paper classes are, but what paper classes are is almost every university in the country has paper classes, right? Paper classes are classes that you do papers to get a grade, essentially. It's not as much involvement with a professor, yada, yada, yada. The thing about it was, was the NCAA is the governing body of athletics for college, right? So they are not involved with something of this nature unless it was only a class designed for our athletes, which was not the case. The craziest thing about it to me is if you look at the timeline, the timeline tells a different tale than what the public media has told. This whole thing got brought up in July 2010 by a tweet sent out by UNC football player Marvin Austin. Um, That triggered an investigation, which has been downhill ever since, right? Then, July 2011, you have a dismissed UNC football player who is suing to rejoin his team, but in his efforts, he makes public a term paper that is found to have been heavily plagiarized and has the chairman of the Afro-American Studies Department on there um, listed as his instructor, which was not the case. So there's a little bit of foul play i acknowledge that 100 percent these classes were not the best classes in the world it is a common practice with that being said it has nothing to do with our athletic program so i think the media needs to do a better job of telling these stories the media is always going to tell it the way that makes them the most money and gets them the most clicks i do not blame them in the least bit that's what i wish for you and beef's beef is to get the most clicks with that being said I hope all the listeners out there don't believe everything they've heard and they do a little bit of their homework and see what's really going on. So,
0: are you saying you don't blame the players for taking that class?
1: None whatsoever. I can give you an example. I'll
0: I'll, I'll say I've never blamed the players for taking that class. Right. That's not one argument that I've ever had.
1: No, I have never heard that come out of your mouth.
0: I'll never. It's there. You're going to do it. As bad as that sounds to me saying that, that's just a fact.
1: Right. Ben Simmons would have loved to have those classes at LSU.
0: No, because Ben Simmons didn't want to have any classes. <laughs> Correct. You, I've, we've, I've talked about that. We've talked about that. Right. Ben Simmons didn't want to be in college. He shouldn't have had to be in college. No, before. whatsoever. That's a, that's a different story for a different time. So right. my thing was they got away with it by – because that class should not have been there. That class was originally – which I've because I've done my homework on this because I've looked up this – that class was originally created in the early, the mid-90s, when Dean Smith was still there in his latter years. Correct, or am I wrong?
1: Correct, but Dean Smith was not involved. So I'm not saying, though, I'm not saying right. it was, but
0: it was in his latter years when he was kind of fading out, handing the... the Because right. Dean Smith, to me, is... I think Coach K is now passing, but Dean Smith to me was the best coach of all time before that.
1: Yeah, depending if you put Red Arbach and all these I'm talking other, college. Okay. Just, just college. college. Yep, John Wooden. I mean just,
0: I, I think Dean Smith. I, right. I just love Dean Smith. But right. and I think Dean Smith was straight and narrow. Like I don't think Dean Smith had anything to do with that type of stuff. But I think it happened, but I don't think he had anything to do with it. So when I go on saying this, I'm not saying he had a part of it. Right. I think it was originally created for athletes only. But in a manner to get away with it like this, North Carolina covered their tail by letting guys like me and you take that class.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to deny that that could have some truth to it. But the one thing I will say is it was a governing body of the NCAA who was headed up by an SEC member. Um, So with that being said... They could have technically attempted to press charges and and go forth with the investigation, but I think they knew there was no leg to stand on. So tough for me to say to you that they did not do that. I'll give you a quick backstory, and I don't want to go into too much detail because we don't want to get too personal. But in the eighth grade, I was a big fan of athletics, specifically basketball was my personal favorite, right? Yeah. Made the decision I wanted to take my talents to South Beach, No. Uh, ch- chose that I wanted to try to play for a better program than the program that I was at currently. Went to a well-known school that is known for athletics, more specifically for basketball. Currently is, is doing very well, yeah. right? So when I went there and in the summer, it was pretty much well known that I was going to make the team. The counselor and advisor, the way I'll word it is helped me choose which classes and which teachers to take. Nothing malicious was done or nothing illegal was done, but I was told where to go, when to go, why to go, how to go. And those things, let me tell you, were for my benefit benefit advantage whatever way you want to spin it um so that's on a high school level and there was no there was no money given to me or no anything like that but with that being said there was privilege given to me through that
0: yeah so I had, and that has actually been proven with this is that those guys weren't even told like that they were just given their schedule right and that may be what you're alluding to with you as well but They were just giving their schedule and saying, "Yeah, you're taking this class."
1: Let's just say I took a lot of art classes. My art game is not at the top of the hill, even though I really enjoy it. But yeah, I was doing I was doing a lot of good classes, some clay molding, you know. So, with your beef, I understand because I've thrown
0: subtle shots in there because I knew you would be on here at some point. I knew you would. I didn't know you would bring it up, but I wondered if you heard them. Oh, I heard them. I wondered if you heard them. And I, w- I would throw them in there. It was like subliminal messages, just seeing, like, I wonder if BJ's really listening. Because you never said anything to me. Because we would text or talk about it on the phone about podcasts and stuff, but you would never bring that stuff up. And I think you you did it the right way. You came at me when you could on the podcast to where people could hear it. it Which is the best way to do it. I'd adapt you up for that. That's the best way to do it. If you got the beef, bring it to the beef. And that's, that's what you did. I love it. So...
1: That's what this is all about—an exactly. open platform for people exactly. to discuss ideas. The question is, who is next?
0: Yeah, that's and that's that's what we'll that's what we'll do. I actually, the next game is against Duke. I have a friend that's also a Duke fan. Hopefully, we can get an episode in this weekend as well.
1: Now, the one thing I'll say is his IQ probably isn't that high, so you know, <laughs> let's keep that in mind. <laughs> and we can listen to that podcast. Yeah,
0: uh, this. <laughs> This this podcast doesn't come with pictures, so it's not, it's not. We're not gonna really have to worry about that. So, BJ, again, I thank you for coming on. You'll be on again. You already know you'll you'll be back for for more.
1: I uh, love. I want to thank you. Quick shout out to Ava and Caleb. I know they're big fans. I know they're
0: listening. That's awesome. I'm glad I got some young listeners as well. That's another reason why I never say it on here. But that's another reason why I tell any guests that I have coming on. I don't want cursing or anything like that because I want people people to be able to turn on the car and not have to worry about that stuff. I want people to be But that's the thing. Like, I don't want to cut anybody's humor off. But at the end of the day, I want people to say, hey, I'm riding back from church or I'm riding back from here and I have my kids in the car. I want to be able to listen to it. And that's my biggest thing is I want to be able to give you knowledge but still be able to make you laugh and still be able to listen to it with anybody. So that's awesome to hear that, you know, they get to listen to what their Uncle B sometimes. That's awesome. But... Guys, I hope you enjoyed. This is by far my longest episode I've ever had. Uh, Probably didn't seem like it when we were recording it, but this is by far the longest episode I've ever had. So, uh, Guys, I'm sorry I sound so uh, congested. I'm actually getting over a sickness. Uh, I'm feeling a ton better than what I did a couple days ago. Uh, I sound a lot worse than what I feel, to be honest with you. So, Keep liking, keep sharing. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I thought there was a lot of good stuff in this episode. A lot. Of, this is a stat-filled episode, I feel like, uh, but great stats. and
1: You brought it, Beef.
0: You brought I, it. Man, you brought it as well. This is this may be the best episode. I mean, we're this is definitely going to be the longest one, so who knows. Hopefully. Let's hope
1: it translates to the game as well, too.
0: Yes, I hope this game is one of the best games of the year. So, guys, like I said, keep liking, keep sharing, keep listening. I'm going to keep pumping them out. Y'all have a good weekend. Go Cards. Go Donovan Mitchell. Later.